This is the Hope Church Mill Creek Podcast, and you're hearing the voice of lead pastor Josh Westmoreland. Hope Church Mill Creek is a church replant in the Hope Church family based out of Danville, Virginia. Our church specifically is in Roxboro, North Carolina, just about an hour north of Durham. Our family of Hope Churches has a total of 13 locations at this time along the Virginia-North Carolina border, mostly in smaller rural communities. Our uh, specific location has existed officially since January 22, when my family and I moved from Mississippi to lead this plant. We hope you enjoy this podcast and bring something away from it that helps you. If you do, it would help us greatly if you left a good review on Apple Podcasts or you just, you know, shared it. We wish you all the best, uh, grace and peace to all of you, and happy listening. So Philippians chapter number three, let's look at these verses and let's see what we're up against here. Philippians three and verse number one. Finally, my brothers, maybe I should start saying that at the end of my messages. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And that's a, ver- that's a word you see over and over again in Philippians 2. Rejoice or rejoy. Take joy again in the Lord, remembering that your joy comes from the Lord. How many of us have chased the joys of this world to no end? How many of us have done that? Me! How many of us have chased it and it might have been something good? It might have been something immediately deemed sinful, whatever it was. It took the place of God in our life. It became an idol. It became an identity. And it took so long, and it was so hard for us to release that. Because it's like, I can't live without that. Finally, my brothers, rejoice or rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things is to you no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the what? Do you see that verse right there, that word? Look out for the dogs. Who let... Never mind. Look out for evildoers. And look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put how much confidence in the flesh? None. Can I pray one more time? God, please be with us today. Lord, I need your spirit. I need your power. I cannot do this, Lord, on my own. If I do it, we'll all fail and we'll all wonder what in the world did we do today. Father, may you speak through the words that are spoken today. May you let the truth rise to the top. And Lord, may we take hold of that and may everything else, Lord, fall off. Lord, use this word today coming from your word. And I pray that we would be right on and I pray that it would help those Help everyone in here today, but speak to those who are really wanting to hear it. Thank you so much for your spirit, and thank you that we know no matter success or failure, you will have your way. And we thank you that all things, for those who love God, all things work out for good. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Now i got three essential questions from the first three verses. I'm going to pop up for you right there. Three questions. So what are the what? Same things. You see three, one, to write the same things to you. Second question, what safeguard are we talking about? Right, that's important in preaching the word of God. I shouldn't, 
I or any pastor shouldn't grab a verse and holler, and then we never come back to the Scripture. It's all about what the Scripture says. So what does it mean? What's the safeguard? What's the fence? And who are the dogs? Who are we talking about? So first thing, the same things. Finally, my brothers, remember this is a letter from Paul. Rejoice in the Lord to write the same things. Well, same things as what he'd been talking about. And in another translation, he says something like this. He says, man, I never get tired. I never get tired of telling you these things. I'll tell you these things over and over and over again. And man, it never tires me because it's what's giving me fuel. What are you talking about, Paul? So far in Philippians 1 and 2, Paul is basically, here's a synopsis. He said several things to them. First off, he said, hey guys, I love you. Man, Philippian church, man, you sent me some money. Oh, thank God for you. I've been struggling over here wondering if I've been forgotten about, but yet you sent me a financial gift, and through Epaphroditus' toil and his trouble and even his own safety, he brought the money to me. Oh, thank God for you. I've been struggling in this Roman prison. I love you, and I appreciate you, and I thank you for your help. And when I pray, Man, I thank God for you. In this modern secular culture when politicians and celebrities mock things like thoughts and prayers, whenever we have something that pops off like what's happened in Israel, and we say, man, we pray for you. That is no light thing. My friends, I, I was thinking about this a few weeks ago, and I meant to say it in a sermon. I'm going to say it now because I forgot about it then, and I remember it now, and I think it's important. When we pray... Sometimes I think, you know, it's, it's easy to say, I'll pray for you, but it's, it's a little different to actually pray for somebody. Man, you think about this. When you stop in your own private time, nobody has got your arm twisted saying, you pray for that person. I'm telling you, I'm watching you now. You better pray for that person. Is anybody doing that? No. But when you take your own time, and you stop and you say, oh God, man, this person came to my mind. God, there's a reason they're on my heart. There's a re God, what are they struggling, struggling with? Oh God, I lift them up to you now. My na their name is coming off my lips. I'm sending it to you because I can't make it happen for them. Oh God, bless their situation. You think God doesn't hear that? Of course he does. There is something about prayer. There is something about taking your time. I thank God for you, Philippians. I pray for you all the time. And I want to see you so badly like an old friend wants to see his buddy. I want to see you so badly. Also in the first couple of chapters, he said, hey guys, I'm in prison and I know you might be angry because of this. And man, I struggle with it too. But as I'm in prison, man, I'm telling you, and you all know what's happening is good is happening what others meant for evil. Man, they put me in this prison and they said, yeah, we're going to ratchet that guy down. Yeah, we're going to silence him. He's been off gallivanting and preaching to people and just having a good old time in God. Well, we're going to shut that down. And that's what they thought they did. But you know what I'm noticing? He's like, as I'm talking to people in my home about Jesus, guess who's also hearing the Roman guards. Those guys are over there so stoic. They're armed. Looking like the FBI, man. 
They're sitting there with their suits on. And they're hearing the gospel. And they're cutting their eyes and they're like, I can't show any emotion. But why in the world is that guy giving his life for this man named Jesus? And you think that didn't get the Romans' heads spinning? What God, what others meant for evil, God meant for good. He's also saying, he's also said the gospel is advancing in my suffering. And, and he even said this, I don't know if you were here this day, we talked about this text, but Paul was wrestling and he was like, hey, so I'm going to be really honest with y'all. Paul said, I think if I was given the choice between death and life, he said, I think I'd just rather die. That's where I'm at. I'd just rather exit. Is that a serious thing to say? Things have got to be pretty bad for you to think you'd rather die. But he finally came around. He's like, but you know what? I know that God has ministry for me. And one day I will rest when I pass away. But the time ain't now. And if we've all, we're all alive today, right? Everybody alive today? You got breath coming out of your lungs, going into your lungs. Have you got any brain activity? Ah, should have thought about that question. We're all here and we're all capable of making our own choices. And you, I think everyone here, of course, I'm, I guess I'm biased to this, but I think everyone here made a good choice by choosing to get up, take a shower, maybe, <laughs> and come here today. Amen? Amen? You made a good choice. He also said to the Philippians, he's like, hey guys, I'm going to be really honest with, uh, with you though, you need to live right. He was like, don't go off thinking I can do whatever I want to do. It's me and my life. It's me and my body. I'll do whatever with it what I want to. Nobody can tell me what to do. Don't think like that. Remember Jesus' sacrifice. Anybody here when we preach the sermon, the hymn of Christ? And how it's this beautiful song that talked about how Jesus came from the Outside the primary reality, that is the spirit world, that is in heaven. And as they created the earth, and basically the painting, basically the masterpiece, and God realizing, Jesus and the Spirit realizing, there is no redemption for this creature that we've created called man because we've given him a choice. He can choose evil or he can choose good. He can choose Satan or he can choose me. And so many of them have chosen the ways of the flesh, the ways of Satan. There is no redemption. Will anybody go? Is anyone worthy to take the seal and open the scroll? And the son, the Lion of Judah said, yes, I am, I will, I will go. I will submit myself to the laws of physics. I will submit myself to these incompetent rulers who think they rule the world. And I will even let them kill me because the sacrifice of God was the only thing that could save humanity. You keep your eyes on that, Philippians. So many of us, we want to rise up and we want to become something. We want to become somebody. We want people to hear us. I want somebody. Would somebody, could I just shake somebody and say, would somebody just listen to me? I want to be understood. Somebody listen to me. And Jesus said, I'm not coming to be understood I'm coming to give my life, no matter who hears it or who does not. Is that not a good example? And then last week we talked about role models. We talked about a couple of guys, um, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And Paul was like, look at those guys. He's like, look, 
when you're first, this is one of the reasons it's so important for those of us who have known Jesus for a while to be faithful, is because when somebody just comes to Christ and they're a brand new baby, as it were, in Christ, or perhaps somebody is just right there almost at the point of belief, there is no telling who is watching you. I'm not trying to guilt anybody today because I think guilt's a terrible motivator. But at the same time, the things that we utter out of our mouth and our attitude, they matter. And you never know the person that is just about to make that step or the person who is just toddling along after they made that step. They're watching you as a role model. And we can say, follow Jesus, and we believe that, but may we follow Jesus and live it out as they follow us until they get their footing. And we all need people anyway, don't we? Remember this. So that's the first question, to write the same things to you. That's those same things. And it's no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. The second question was, why do we need a fence? Let me ask you a question. Why does anybody build a fence? There's a couple of reasons. Probably, why does anybody build a fence or a wall or let's say a fence around your house? Why would you build one? Privacy. Privacy. What's also another reason you build a fence? Maybe even that's, uh, let's just say, hot. Why would you build a fence? To keep people out. I know there's a lot of us that say, man, we operate by faith and not by sight, and yet we still lock our doors at night, don't we? Right? There's nothing wrong with that. We have a fence. We have a safeguard. And so Paul's reference like, well, what safeguard are you talking about? Well, in this case, you're building a fence to keep you away from what? Dogs. Now, are we talking about a shih tzu? Pastor John, are we talking about a chihuahua? Are we talking about a, a vicious Yorkie poo? No, we're talking about mangy, scoundrel. Um, has anybody, had, anybody ever um, been up close to a coyote before? All right, so we had, um, we, we, I used to hunt. And um, I'd still hunt if somebody let me borrow their land. Anyway, um, just saying that. Um, did y'all like how I did that? Yeah. I know that was probably wrong, but anyway. But we had a coyote problem one year. Man, it seemed like every hunt was messed up. And I'd hear, you'd hear, y'all ever heard coyotes? You ever heard them? You know, they're hollering and, you know, yipping and everything. And Man, it seemed like every hunt they'd come out and all the deer would go away and, um, Coyotes are just predators like any other animal, right? But there's an issue when they're overpopulated. And then they start killing all the fawns and killing all the small game and everything. So um, I kept having hunts being messed up by these predators. And, man, I finally I had enough, and it was they were infested. There were too many. And so there were three that came out in the field one day. And I was like, well, here's my chance. And I'm, you know, I'm an animal lover too, but you got to balance these things out. And I took all three of them out. And I'd never been up close to one before. And, you, of course, you know, have to dispose of them, get rid of them. And so I'm walking up to them, and I'm telling you, if you've never been close to a coyote, you will know it within, if, when you're, like, within 25 feet of one of them. You know that instinct that your dog has to uh, go out and roll in, you know, everything? right? That's what coyotes do all the time. 
and they never get a bath. Can you imagine that year's worth of, right? They're nasty, mangy, nasty. These are the kind of dogs that Paul, Paul's not talking about a Yarkipoo. Paul's not talking about a Chihuahua. Paul's talking about an, um, a mangy dog that will kill anything that it can that's not tameable, it's rabid, it's going to kill anything, it'll even take your pets, it'll take any small animals, you've got to get rid of that thing, at the very least put a fence up. What, he's talking about literal dogs, Josh? No, he's actually talking about people. What would you think about a preacher like Paul that called people dogs? He did. But he called a very specific type of people dogs. You know who he's referring to? He's referring to people that would make great their religion and little of Christ. It is those people who would come in and say, hey, listen to me, you Philippian church. I know some of you are babies in Christ. Look, um, as a teacher, you should know that here are some, yes, Jesus is good, and yes, Jesus is the Savior, etc., etc., but if you really want to be a good Christian, you've got to do these things in addition to the Jewish law. Specifically, and this is awkward, we said it last week, but it's right here. He said specifically when it comes to circumcision, if you're not, then you're not really saved and you're not right with God. And Paul turned it back around on him. He said, you are not only the false circumcision, you are mutilators. In other words, that's another word for castration. He said, here's what you are doing, you dogs, you legalists. You're taking things, you're taking the gospel, and you are perverting it, and you're diluting it, and yet you're even cutting it apart by adding your man-made rules, and you're keeping people out of the kingdom of God because you're adding to the gospel. And therefore, you're ripping it apart. And that is still today what legalists do. We could probably have testimonials all over this building of, man, I thought what, when I became a Christian, I had to stop doing this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing. And truly, when Jesus saves us, he transforms us from the inside out. He does. He doesn't leave us the same. But at the same time, so much of religion and so much of church over the years has said, we're going to add these things that are not biblical to salvation. And it messes salvation up. And that's why Paul says, you are a bunch of dogs is what you are. It's kind of like when John the Baptist said, hey, you know what y'all are? To the religious leaders of the day, you know what he said? He said, you're like a den of snakes is what you are. So who are the dogs? Well, the dogs are the legalists. The dogs were the Judaizers of the day. That's one, those are the three questions. Now, we're going to look at three points here. Looking first, Four through six. If you're there, just look at it there. Verses four through six. And we have three points about Paul. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence, I have more. And he goes down through this list. Now we're going to do this a little different. Paul was one of those people that was, people looked at him and said, man, that's, that's who I want to be like when he was younger, when he was perhaps in rabbinical training. Perhaps even, you can imagine with me, go with me in your imagination for a second, to a rabbinical school. And you've got these students who are growing up and they're memorizing Genesis and 
Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and they did. They memorized it. They applied themselves to it. They followed their teachers around, and they were very good students. But I can almost imagine a rabbi calling over a poor performing student and saying to that student, <clears throat> you that, <clears throat> pardon me, you that, <clears throat> come here, come here, come here, I want you to be more like, <clears throat> Paul, Saul, come here, come here, come here, come here, Saul. So, look, you need to be more like him. Saul is ideal, young, young Saul, young Saul. Step out and tell us how you excel in your studies. Tell us. And so Saul steps up, and we're going to take this scripture, and I'm going to do this. I know you already think I'm crazy. I know that. I'm going to give you more reasons. So in verse number five, young Saul would have been like, hey there, young man. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little bit about me. <laughs> Because I want to talk about me. <laughs> uh, hear me out, young man. If you want to perform well as a rabbinical student, you listen to me. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about me. <laughs> I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. <laughs> Circumcised on the eighth day. I, I want you to understand that, first of all, yes, you're right, Rabbi, to call me up. Because I'm, I guess you could say, the model student. <laughs> and I'm the humblest person I know. <laughs> uh, so I'm circumcised the eighth day, just like the law required. And I also have you know that, um, you know, I'm also a person of uh, Israel. I was not, <laughs> oh, I was not foreign born <laughs> and then brought into the family. No, no, no. I was born in Israel and I am an Israelite indeed. <laughs> and you should look at me that way because I'm amazing. The people of Israel, I'm also a tribe of Benjamin. You do know the tribe of Benjamin, do you not? Benjamin's great, very respectable tribe, very respectable tribe. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. <laughs> As to the law, I am a, I'm a Pharisee. <laughs> We're great. We've got things put together, man. We've got the law down pat. And, and I'm telling you, I am so zealous that here's what I am doing. I am persecuting this <laughs> new, <laughs> whatever it's called, this new way, the way. <laughs> He said, in my estimation, that, that new cult called the way is not going to be around probably more than five years if I have anything to say about it. And even right now, I've been given letters. I've been given letters from the high priest, and I am heading on my way to Damascus, and I'm going to exterminate them, take them out, because it just doesn't need to be that new religion. It's threatening to our way. So we're going to go. If I could get my colleagues to saddle up their horses, we're going to go. And I imagine those colleagues heard all about Saul and even more on the way there. Bragging and boasting. I'm amazing. Listen to how eloquent I am. Look at the way I dress. Man, I tell you what, the world's been good to me. Religion's been good to me too. And you ever been around somebody like that? They just can't stop. And in your mind, you're thinking, shut up. <laughs> right? They're going on the way. But in Acts chapter number 9, I imagine when they are on the way to Damascus, it says they were near the city. 
all of a sudden from heaven there shone a light that was so bright, the power of the light itself knocked Saul off of his horse. And he went from, oh, it's a great day, to trembling and afraid. Wait, what, what's happening here? And he hears the voice, and so do the other men that were with him. Saul, Saul. Wait. Who are you? And I can picture, you ever seen a, a movie or a television show where it kind of like zooms out and zooms in, and all of a sudden you see the character in a white room, and it's almost like, as it were, they're walking through their own mind, reflecting what's happened. And Paul's there. What's happening right now? There's a voice speaking to me. I've never heard this voice before. Who is this voice? Who's, who is it? And the voice answers back and says, I am Jesus. And you're persecuting me. And you can imagine in that second, all of his education, all of his educational background, all of his discipline, the master degree that he earned, the PhD that he is working on, the money that he's acquired, the houses that he's acquired, the stallions he's gotten hold of, all of the accomplishment that he's put his, man, he has really applied himself. He has worked hard. He is an overachiever, a high achiever. He is a confident, ambitious, type A type person, and he is killing it. And all of a sudden, Everything becomes trash. See, when you and I think of trash, we think about trash, don't we? Think about an old banana peel that looks like it's been fermenting for 47 years. That's what we think about. We think about just everything in the trash, just like it's in the trash. You, you don't want it back. It's nothing. It's not treasure at all. And you and I would perhaps think in this society, like, man, I want to do this thing, and I want to do that thing, and man, I want... And look, there is nothing wrong with accomplishment, but so many times when we accomplish things and we move forward, we go from one sin to another. We go from being down and being slave to our basest of human or animal desires. And then we become prideful because look at what I've done now. Look at what I've done now. I've done this good thing, and I'll tell you what, I stopped doing that a long time ago. And you go from a humble attitude like, thank you, God, to, you know, I'm pretty amazing. Is that right? No. You have Paul the confident in verses 4 through 6 and verses 7 through verse number 9. Let's read this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as, there's that word. What's the word? Loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing who? Jesus Christ. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? Whenever somebody comes to know Jesus or somebody is right at 
right upon the edge, upon knowing Jesus, there's almost this thought process of, wait a second, you mean to tell me that everything I've earned and everything I've done in my physical power, you mean to tell me everything that I've accomplished in my mind, all the school, that you mean to tell me that in Christ, all of that is just trash. Paul had the same struggle because Paul was as competent as anybody gets. Friend, there is one thing that we can be confident in today, and that is Jesus. All other ground is shifting, sinking sand. All my hope is to be in Jesus. When somebody is converted, I guess that's what you could say. Paul, the convert, he was converted to the way it struck at Acts chapter number 9, led to Damascus. And I don't know if you've ever read the chapter, but it's crazy because this guy has accomplished so much. It says he was led by the hand like a baby to Damascus. And it said he just sat there and he didn't eat or drink for three days. And when you're having a conflict of identity, that's probably what happens. It's like, you mean to tell me everything I've worked for is gone. And then lastly, we see in verses 10 through 11, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. That I may know Him. Christian, we only have 50, 60, 70, 90, 100 years we only have a blip in the eternal scale of time to mount up for Christ what is rightfully His. For a believer, you want to know the mark of somebody who truly knows Christ? It's not somebody that never ever sins again. We all mess up. We all fail. Right? The mark of a believer is someone who constantly acknowledges and says in humility, Oh God! This sin that I have done, the reason I hate this is because I know I have chosen this over you. And from the Scripture, there is one thing I want to know from verse number 10. I want to know Jesus. I want to walk with Him. I want to talk with Him. I want Him to tell me, you're mine. There's one thing I want. I want to know that I know Jesus. I want to pray. I want to read the Bible. I want to walk with other people who know Jesus, and I want to know that I know you. And one of the ways I know that is in Romans chapter 12, in verse number 2. It says this. Romans 12, 2. It says something like, oh, there it goes. There it is. Look in verse number 2. Um, Present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, spiritual worship. Do not be what? Conformed or formed around this world, but be transformed, to change form by what? Renewal of your mind. What's a way a Christian can do that? Reading the Word of God. Being in the Spirit of God. Walking with God. Walking with other people when you are struggling especially. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. How can we do this? 
we walk with God. Back in verse number 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection that I, that it, and may share in His sufferings. There are so many in this room today, perhaps that would say something like this, perhaps it, it is what I have said in the past. Man, there's no way. There's no, Josh, there's, listen to me, Listen to me. I've been walking this way for a long time. There is no way that I can stop doing this thing that I know is wrong. There's no way. I've tried. I've tried. And I keep running back to it. Keep running back to it. Keep running back to it. I'm telling you, Josh, it's impossible. Josh, I'm telling you, I can't, I can't, I'm not able to let go of this sexual addiction. I'm not able to let go of this alcohol addiction. I'm not able to let go of my drug addiction. I am not. There is no way on God's green earth. I've tried it too many times myself. I've done it so many times. I keep running back. I'm to the point where I'm like, I'm done trying. And with you, it is impossible. You're right. Dead on. But with God. You say, yeah, okay, I've heard that line before in God. So I basically, when I mess up, I go and I pray, oh, God, forgive me, and, and I'm just getting, no, it's not just that. We've all done that. It's walking with him all the time. How many of us have done that? Let's just be honest today. How many of us have we messed up? We knew we did. We run to the front of an auditorium, we go in our closet at home and we cry out to God, oh God, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. How many of us have done that? So Josh, I, I keep praying that and I keep falling. First of all, join the club. You just There's a club. There's a club of us. Right? Second of all, it's not about your power or my power. It's about walking with God all the time. And you say, Josh, I don't have time. Yeah, you do. I wonder, y'all know those things on your phone that say how many times you've spent on your phone this week? You ever see that and you're like, holy moly. You ever see, you ever done that? Hey, you're welcome. It's embarrassing. And we're going to look at that and say, yeah, I don't have time to read the word. Seriously? I think we do what we want to do. Can I get an amen? Amen. The invitation is this. We become like him in his suffering. We become like him in his death. The invitation is actually to the high achievers in the room. Any of y'all in here? I'm not incriminating you. I'm just asking you. The invitation is to the rule keepers. Those who just, man, I keep the rules, and I'm, I'm a good citizen. I'm not like that, a bunch of trash out there. I'm a good citizen. That's you. The ambitious in the room. Any ambitious person, driven people, the educated in the room. Paul is shooting this down. We shouldn't have confidence. Look, if a person, if a person comes in this room, and they're smelly, and they don't look good, and they look like they've been through the ringer, that person is just as valuable as a Ph.D., as somebody who's been granted a Ph.D. in this room to God. And what does that say? 
that we shouldn't put confidence in those things that we accomplish. We all come together and we put confidence in one person. Jesus Christ. Hey, thank you so much for listening. It, it means the world to me that you would take the time to listen to our sermons. If, you, if you'd like to connect with us, shoot us an email at office at hopechurchmillcreek.com. That's office at hopechurchmillcreek.com. Or just come by for a service in person, 1030 a.m. Sunday mornings. Address is 1562 Mill Creek Road, Roxboro, North Carolina. Uh, I would love to meet you in person. And um, I guess that's all for now. So don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcast if you would kindly. We pray that you'd have a great day. Uh, for Hope Church Mill Creek, I'm Pastor Josh. Grace and peace.